Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. You're here because you want to learn about how to live a healthier life, how to live more sustainably, how to take your everyday actions and make them work for you and the planet. Sometimes it might feel like you've got this figured out, and other times you probably feel lost. That's why I'm here. Together, we will learn how to live happier, healthier lives without the need to be perfect and always allowing space for a little cluelessness on this journey to living a more conscious life. Today on the podcast, I talked to Nicole Brush. Nicole is the founder and executive director at Good Life Refuge. This conversation, Nicole gets really real about what it's like to open a refuge. Here we go. This podcast is supported by Who Gives a Crap. Who Gives a Crap is an eco-friendly toilet paper company that donates 50% of its profits to help ensure everyone has access to clean water and a toilet within our lifetime. Who Gives a Crap has donated almost 8 million U.S. dollars to nonprofit organizations who help provide clean water and toilets all over the world. Who Gives a Crap is delivered straight to your door with carbon-neutral delivery. I love that it comes that way. I don't have to think about it. It's an automatic subscription, and I want you to try it. You can check out Who Gives a Crap and get $10 off your first order over $54 with the code CARLY10. That's C-A-R-L-Y-10, or check out the link in the show notes. So I like asking people, where are you at right now? How are you feeling? Kind of if there was a spectrum from clueless to conscious in this moment on this day, how are you feeling right now? Well, I can join the club of the clueless people, right? We're having some problems to solve here at the sanctuary. And I feel like I expanded everything I could think of to do mm. so. And it's not coming back. I'm mm. like, I don't know how to solve this one. So, yeah. Feeling a little clueless. Yeah, appreciate that feeling. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It is very real. Well, you mentioned the rescue, so let's go right into that. You are the founder of Good Life Rescue in, where is it, in Longmont? Longmont. Colorado? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And how did that happen? Let's talk about that journey. (laughs) Well, I always have been an animal lover since I'm very little, you know, Mm -hmm. the kids bringing home like injured bunny, (laughs) picking Mm -hmm. cats off the street and Mm. birds and all that fun stuff. And I think my mom was pretty, pretty supportive in these regards. And we had a ton of animals ourselves while I was growing up. And all I got, it just didn't stop. (laughs) And I started... (laughs) it got worse you know going on vacation I was like feeding the strays and Mm -hmm. all that fun stuff and making people uncomfortable (laughs) while doing so bringing animals home from vacation and finding homes for them and then when I came here to the U.S. I started digging into the rescue organizations itself a little bit more started volunteering at the Humane Society mostly dogs and cats and focus Mm -hmm. on dogs done a ton of rescue work in the dog rescue world myself and at some point I was exposed to farm animals and that kind of planted a seed to start my own farm animal sanctuary and it took us a while to find the right property and all the things that we needed as a family ourselves and 
Once we found that in 2018, I pretty much got started right away <clears throat> and <laughs> was diving in full bone, not knowing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and here we are close to four years later with 70 animals on site, 13 or 14 different species. Seven? Yeah. Wow. So, wow. yeah. That is a lot. So you said coming here to the U.S., where were you before that? I'm from Europe, from Germany. From Germany, okay. And yeah, we relocated here to the U.S. in 2005. So it's been quite a while that we've been here and yeah. What is like the... This. What is the vegan scene in Germany like? Because I've talked to quite a few people from Europe and other places, but not Germany. And I'm wondering, like, what is that like? Is the the rescue situation, what is that culture in terms of this? You know, rescue culture is very different. And, you know, I haven't really been into the rescue scene myself. Mm -hmm. I started that in the U.S. because right. we have more like shelter situations and that okay. was very limiting and restricting and how much you can help there are rescues out there as well but i've never touched base with them so i really don't know the vegan mm -hmm. seems kind of similar because i started being vegan here in the u.s so i don't know how they are but what i know is when i go back to europe or to germany which doesn't happen too often they have a fascinating product where it's like, you need to bring these to the yes. Interesting. <laughs> I think they have, yeah, they have like great chocolate and like fake lunch meats. Well, now mm -hmm. I have to say they're more European style, what I'm used to. But right. it's like, you know, I'm like, why can we not get a good lunch meat here in the U.S.? That's plant-based and really tastes well, right? Mm -hmm. While well, they have it in Europe and you can hardly taste the difference. Now, I, you know, never was vegetarian. I was raised as a full-blown omni omnivore. Um, mm -hmm. So I do like the taste of meat. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know there are people that totally don't like the taste of meat, but I do. And I do like my lunch meat, so... I'm always happy when I find a substitute that gets fairly close to the taste of it. Um, the Impossible Burger makes me a little, <laughs> it's a little scary because it's too the close. The first like, I time I had it, I was so freaked out. I had to ask the waiter if he was sure that he gave me the right meal. I was like, I'm so yeah. sorry. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I haven't had meat in years and this is freaking me out. <laughs> yes, exactly. I have the same thing. I was like... Somebody switched my patty, right? Because it's so scary close to it. Yeah. But yeah. So I feel like we have somewhat a different selection of plant-based foods. And for me, they taste more like it. Mm -hmm. um, do love. When I'm yeah. back in Germany, it's like, okay, let's get this and this. And that's all I'm having. <laughs> Oh, that sounds time. fun. Yeah, there, I interviewed someone in Ireland, and I follow him on Instagram. And the chocolates and the sweet treats that he shares, I mean, we've got some good stuff here, but it's like astronomically yeah. better looking. It does. You know, I like white chocolate. I'm not a dark chocolate person. And I do love my milk chocolate. And I was like, mm -hmm. I haven't really found in stores, I have to say. Right, right. 
good replacements. I found like one chocolate, the panda one that mm-hmm. I love because it's very close to milk chocolate and it has like all these fantastic flavors. But you have to order it online and, you know... <laughs> So I was like, mm. <laughs> Equal like Exchange Chocolate has like a coconut milk vegan oh, nice. one now. And I actually think it is the most reminiscent of like milk chocolatey memories of Hershey bars <laughs> that I have. I think <laughs> it's the closest I've come. And I am I'm a chocolate hound, like sweet tooth galore. So that is yeah. when I find something like that, I'm just like, yes. So excited. Yeah, that's kind of me too. I'm like, oh, finally. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like such a treat. So you said you went vegan once you had moved to the US. What was that journey like? Like what kind of prompted that shift in your life? So my my journey started way being old, I would say. Way being old. That sounds weird. So I didn't, you know, I didn't turn vegan right away when we moved to the US. It, Actually, I turned vegan when I was about 42. Mm-hmm. And the reason was because I started another sanctuary a while back. And working with these animals kind of pushed me to change my lifestyle. While I would say I always have been an animal lover, I didn't necessarily bring that love of animals to the plate, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I it does. very, you know, looking back now, I consciously choose not to get informed because you know when I was watching documentaries about like animal transport right Mm. I was sitting there and crying because of the misery of the animals but it didn't push me further if that makes sense to dive into that topic I just didn't want to know it right I relate and I grew up in a you would say in American terms in the meat and potato household Yep. Well, I was never a huge meat eater because I didn't like necessarily some of the meats a lot. I did eat it. And mm-hmm. actually, when we came to the US, I ate a lot more because it tasted so much better than in Europe, right? But when I started the other sanctuary, I came home one day, you know, having my regular dinner. And I was like, wait a second, what are you doing here? Right? Here I was tending to my chicken and trying to keep it alive and get it healthy. And then I had chicken breast for dinner, right? And once that relation was done, like that connection was made, I started looking into, right? And all it took was watching one video of the baby chickens being quieted. And I was like, I'm done. I can't continue this. And it has been, you know, rookie journey, I would say, because... I went cold turkey, Yeah, which was not necessarily the best way to do, but that was my way to do it. And I fell off the wagon a few times, mm-hmm. cheated, right? And then I had to remind myself that I have to be compassionate with myself in regards yes. because I cannot expect what I cultivated over 42 years will just go away with it, right? And the body needs time to adjust and I have a lot of food related sensitivity so I couldn't do a lot of the things mm-hmm. you know that made it easier for me I'm gluten-free and soy doesn't right. sit well with me and beans and lentils kind of eh. so it was a journey of learning what I can 
do well and whatnot. And, you know, right. the cooking was learning to cook, learning the labels. And, you know, at the beginning, it was all about the food. And now it's like, okay, the cosmetics and shoes yeah. and belts and clothing. And it can be really overwhelming, right? So it's like, the baby steps and not trying mm -hmm. to do too much at once but you know it's been seven years and I don't regret it I'm fairly happy that I'm not contributing to the suffering of animals in general and you know experience my or our animals on a daily basis that is kind of mm. what gives me the confidence that this is it's right for me what I'm doing and they totally deserve to be here because for me none of my animals is much different than a dog or a cat that we keep as pets yeah when you see those videos of like cows playing with a ball like a dog does or the pigs you know all those things where you just start to make those connections and that cognitive dissonance, that tricking ourselves, is so real and so common, I think, when you grow up in a society telling you that it's not wrong to do that, then we just keep wanting that narrative to be true. But yeah. it can only kind of hold on for so long, I guess. I think it's so interesting that you started a sanctuary before going vegan. So what was the sanctuary before? It was, you know, well, when we started, we had like two things that we wanted to combine, which was dog rescue, which was mine, right? Mm -hmm. And then the farmer perspective, which was the other founder's perspective. Okay. But we came to the conclusion very quickly that we would be spreading us to thin and we have to focus. And because there wasn't many farm animal sanctuaries in the area here, we decided we're doing the farm animals because they've been plenty of dog rescues out. So, and that was, you know, that was fine with me. We had in the back burner that we'll do the dogs at some point, right? Yeah. Because dogs and, yeah, dogs are just my world, right? They still are. We have five. <laughs> Oh, wow. Fun. <laughs> Some of them from my time as being in dog rescue, right? But, you know, it was a great experience in a way that I was like, well, they deserve as much as being loved and taken right. care of as any dog or cat or pet that we're having. And so, yeah, that was kind of where my focus completely shifted. So maybe I misunderstood. I thought you meant you'd started two rescues. Is that correct or no? No. So the plan was that we're going to do dog rescue and the farm animals. Got right? it. Right. But in while we're doing and getting started, we figured out it's too much. We can't right. do both. We have to focus. And so we decided to focus on the farm animals because there are plenty of dog rescues out here. Right. Right. So, and that was fine with me. And for a while I had like in the back burner, we can always add, you know, once we're settled and have everything, da, 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 we can add the dog rescue part, but never got to it. And at some point when I pulled out of that sanctuary, I was like, farm animal it is because they need oh, us. Interesting. They're so, there's no place for them. There's no voice for them. And 
they deserve it, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of pushed me really into the direction that I want to do my own farm animal sanctuary. And then, you know, as I said, once we had the right property that was fitting all the bills, we, we started pretty much immediately doing the farm animals. So how does that work? Do people call you up and say, I have this cow that broke loose? Or what does that process look like? I mean, I'm sure it's everything. It's it's different. For me, it always comes down to like a three-part, not three-part, but three different areas where animals come from. The owner surrenders are by far the most requests we get. So last week, for example, I got a request for 20 animals to take in. Mm-hmm. Woman is in a bad divorce, has to vacate her property, and she has 13 chickens, four sheep, no, six sheep and four goats, right? And it was looking to place them with us. I had to decline because we're full and we've been oh, full I bet that's forever. Hard. I bet that's it is so super hard. hard because you wonder what happens with the animals, you know. Right. And then I was contacted by a rescuer activists this week. We can help with three pot bellies while most of them potentially are pregnant. And it was like, oh, we're God. talking like three by, you know, three times 10 because they can have 10 to 16 piglets, right? Oh my God, you have 30 pigs really quickly. Yes, and three goats, a family of goats and mama is potentially pregnant. And I had to decline again, right? So there's a lot of, and these guys were from a hoarding case with an active investigation. So I always say mostly owner surrenders for us. Then you have the animals that come in through governmental intervention, which is not happening very often. We have some, but not a ton. And then we have the strays. While the strays are mostly within the bird population that we have because people just dump them left and right. So these are the three places where we get some, you know, sometimes we get them through networking with other animal sanctuaries because we always post when I'm full as like, hey, anybody has space? Right, right. right. To still help. But yeah, owner surrenders has by far. So interesting to me that owner surrender is the most. So these are people that are having like hobby farms or animals just because they want animals and then they realize they can't. I mean, is it that kind of stuff? Yeah. It's like people get sick, right? We have farmers that age and then they don't want to kill their animals. So they're looking for places. We have college kids that get chickens. Oh my God. The last thing I wanted in, in college apartment. was a chicken. Right. <laughs> in, my, in my apartment. Yep. Or ducks, right? And then the ducks turn out to be not so cute anymore because they're really dirty, right? Ducks make a mess. If and I have loud. <laughs> and they're loud. I have once in a while, I have them in the house, you know, when they're injured or whatever, and they flood your bathroom in no time. Seriously. I had like one of my adults in my bathroom, in my, my new bathroom, because my old one is in remodeling right now. And because she had an eye injury and with the avian flu, we have like everybody locked up and I can't give them the water. You know, they can't swim like they usually would. So they have water buckets and stuff, but not their pools out because that floods the whole area. So I had her in my bathroom (laughs) and within 10 minutes, there was water 
everywhere. And it's not a tiny, not a tiny, tiny bathroom. It's not huge either. But I was like, how in the world do you manage to go from the bathtub four and a half feet to the door? Right. That's like having right, a kid. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? By now, you all know that therapy is an important part of my own self-care. It has truly been a game changer in every aspect of my life, including achieving goals. BetterHelp is the largest online therapy platform worldwide. They are changing the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, and affordable access to a licensed therapist. BetterHelp makes professional therapy available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. You can start communicating within 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. And I have a special offer for Consciously Clueless listeners. Visit BetterHelp.com Carly and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. By using this code, you get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash C-A-R-L-Y. Take care of yourself today. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. This podcast is sponsored by TerraSeed. TerraSeed is on a mission to disrupt the vitamin industry, empower vegans, and reduce plastic waste in the world. They put everything plant-based people struggle to get in an all-inclusive, vegan, compostable package multivitamin that replenishes them and our planet every single day. Seriously, y'all, win, win, win. Even if you're not vegan, this vitamin will help you get those key nutrients that you need. I am so excited to share a discount code for your first purchase. Use code CARLY50 at checkout to get 50% off. Again, that's C-A-R-L-Y-5-0 for 50% off your first purchase at TerraSeed.com. Don't forget this code so they know I sent you. Oh, yeah. So... You know, they they are oh. a lot of work. They feel they they make a mess if if you take do it right. And then, you know, we have people that I was like, I had a woman connect with me. She wanted to surrender what two animals. I can't even remember what type. And she's like, they're just too much for me. It's just me. And I was like, we're just two people here, and we have seventy animals, and you telling me it's too much, right? So I think you know people get animals on a whim and then they realize it's too much and we have a lot of people that have not a lot but some people that lost lost their housing Mm. and then you know they had pig right a full-grown farm pig and go in foreclosure and then they're like what we're gonna do don't want to kill it we want to have the animal safe right but who can take a 750-pound pig, right? I know. We had a woman who had a goat in her apartment. Well, she got a goat gifted while she lived in our apartment, right? Who are these people giving gifts of goats and buying ducks for apartments? I just... So it's just like, you know, or the woman with the 20 animals, she was in a bad divorce, right? And lost her property and... 
that stuff happens frequently. They lost financial footing, and right now it's it happens quickly, right? Right. And then there are people that just don't want to care anymore. I had one chicken surrender to me that had a prolapse and the woman was like i was tending to her and i was like how about bringing the chicken to the vet and doing it properly right and then she's like i'm going on vacation and you know everybody was like that was a facebook thing going on and everybody was like you need to surrender and i was sitting there like no you need to bring it to a vet if this would be a dog or a cat you would go to the vet right but nobody you know, would help that poor chicken. So I was like, I'll take her, bring her over. She was one of my first severe ones that we had. And, uh, you know, it's like we had to stop the laying eggs. We had to suture her for, I think she had a suture in her cloaca for three months to keep everything in and let the body heal, right? We had her for about a year and a half and... She had, the, we, we could not, after that, she was fine, but we couldn't get a full grip on the reproductive damage that was done. Oh. So she passed away at some point because we, we couldn't fix it. But, you know, that's kind of, owner surrenders are, are pretty, you know, I think with the birds, birds is our highest intake rate. And then we have the pigs, the pot belly pigs, and then the goat. Wow. People get them and then they're getting tired of it. Or, you know, they don't lay eggs anymore and they don't want to pay for, for them, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, we're going to surrender because they get the good feeling with it too. I did a good thing. <laughs> I donated my chickens to Sanctuary. Oh, <laughs> right? Wow. So. Yeah. That's wild. So when you say like, like you have 70 animals and you're like, I had to turn down two requests this week alone because we're full. Is that in your experience, is every rescue full? Like, I think everyone I've talked to, I've ever heard say they're full. Is that common? It is pretty much. Yeah. All the established ones are full. You know, we, we have a network of a farm sanctuary here for Colorado and the newer ones are filling up and from a rescue perspective when you're new you know you're eager to to help right and you're like I have space right but you have to be really careful that you don't grow too fast too quickly because it will hit you at some yeah. point. We took in close to 30 animals last year, which was probably our biggest growth that we made. And it shows, it shows a lot. And, you know, it's like I can't During build up my staffing too. that quickly. Yeah. During, you know, the staffing because we don't have the funding. Now it's like, oh, we had $9,000 last year that we had to spend on hay. <laughs> this year, we have to spend $20,000. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, how am I going to get the funding in? Because people don't like to pay for hay. It's not yeah. exciting, right? Yeah. And it's all good in the moment, but you have to also have the foresight of calculating what does that mean for the next year right Right. and 
work caretaker down right now. So it's like me back out doing chores. And it's really hard finding good people, right, in the caretaking area. So it, it's, you know, I'm telling some of these girls, I say girls, they're grown hardcore woman because not <laughs> this is not this is not for the faint hearted I imagine um, not but I'm like you know pace yourself. I can only speak from my own experience pace yourself if you don't pace yeah. yourself you're gonna pay for it and yeah this life has impact you know it impacts your family your family life can you go on vacation? Even if you have the funds, right? Can you go on vacation? Because who's who's going to do all of this while you're gone? You know, so, yeah. or you have plans with your family on a Sunday afternoon and boom, you have an emergency, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of things that we don't know when we go into it, what it really means, right? And I was like, pace yourself is the best advice I can give anybody who starts a farm animal sanctuary or any rescue itself, because I think this is very common for pretty much every rescue, right? If you oh, grow I too fast, imagine. too quickly, it can get hard. It would be so hard not to, it would be so hard to, like you said, like I have the space, we're new. Like I want to save the world. One come all. Yep. And it would be so hard not to do that. And you mentioned funding, which is something I'm always curious about with rescues because it seems, and maybe, you know, this is my experience in talking with others, but it feels like a lot of times when I hear about funding and rescues, it feels like people running rescues are always searching for funding and making sure that mm -hmm. that is still like year to year. Like it doesn't seem like us, anyone I've talked to has a solid foundation and that seems so stressful. Has that been your experience? You know, I wouldn't necessarily say we're not having a solid foundation, but it's okay. like, as you grow, you need more. Right? right. And the matter of fact is that the, there is an abundance of need. Right. You know, and it doesn't matter where that need comes from, but there is an abundance of need, but not an abundance of money that's freely given. <laughs> and, you know, as a farm animal sanctuary, we are in a niche, right? Yeah. Because not, you know, dog and cat rescue, and they struggle too. Don't, you know, get me right. wrong about that. But they can adopt their animals out. So there is sometimes, not all the time, there's money coming back. There's a, right. you know, a revenue right. stream. We don't adopt our animals out, so I don't have that revenue stream, right? So that is one difference. And then it's like you can never stop fundraising because your costs don't stop, right? The animals need to be fed, no matter if I if I fundraise the money or not. The food has to come. If right. an animal gets sick, for me, the worst case scenario would be to have to wait. Mm. until funding gets in to bring the animal to the vet, right? I'm right. like, that just does not sit well with me. Right. So we have different scenarios where we get money from. So we have some grant money, which is, again, not a lot because we're in a niche. Yeah, I right? imagine. We have our private donors that donate once in a while. And then we have our monthly supporters, right? Okay. And the monthly supporters are what I 
consider my pillars because that's a steady income stream I'm having, right? That I can somewhat calculate. Of course, the people that are chipping out and new ones coming in, right? Right. But it's like these are these three areas where money comes in and, you know, we're working on slowly because I don't have staff much. I have two part-time, well, right now we're down to one part-time caretaker and that's it, right? And everything else is done by me. <laughs> yes, oh, <God. laughs> it's done by me and some of my board, right? And we have some great volunteers, but it's like two handful of people and that's not enough to run an organization like you would run a prof. Not that we're unprofessional. I want to say that right here. I think we're doing a damn good job with the resources we have available, yes. right? But it's like in order to grow, in order to get all these things really nicely set up, you need staff. You yeah. cannot rely on volunteers. You need people power. And Yes, there is no money for that right now, right? But we are working on an education program, which slowly, because <laughs> again, it's driven by what? a volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> One person and me, where we're hoping we can implement at some point in 2023, 2024, an educational program that brings in some steady revenue as well as helps us foster and create a different mindset around animals within the younger population. So, you know, we're trying to get the kids just more involved into here's a way to see these animals different. They're not food, right? They're not different. So, but in a, in a smart way, right? Because this topic can be very off-putting. And so it has to be really well done. So, you know, these are the revenue streams and incomes we have. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't have anybody who's like, hey, here's $100,000 for you <laughs> for the year, right? And that'd but be nice. That would be fantastic. But, you know, so you you make do with what comes in. And for me, it's really important that the basic needs of animals are met, meaning they get the food they need, right. they have housing, they have the medical care that they need, right? And everything else grows as we can. But, you know, the struggle is real. I was like, I was just getting off my fundraising training before we hopped on the call. And mm. it's like funding is stalling right now. We have our hay fundraiser running, yeah. right? I have $20,000 that need to come in. And we're at probably, I haven't check the numbers 1500 right oh wow and i'm like we have a long way to go a lot more to push right Right. because the animals want to eat it's not just the rescue people are excited about rescuing an animal right but it's not just that you also need to feed them and make sure that they're healthy and fit right yeah absolutely it sounds like so it's one of those things that sounds, and of course, I'm saying this from the outside, you're the one doing the work, I'm just interviewing you. But it sounds like an experience that would be simultaneously so stressful and so rewarding at the same time. <laughs> you know, 
That is totally true. I think I don't have a background in nonprofit management, right? Mm. I have a marketing background and I worked in a vet clinic. So I have some medical background, but a nonprofit. And so the fundraising part was really foreign to me. And I did the best I could in the first year. And, you know, it was okay. I spent a lot of my own money in the first two years into the rescue. And last year we had a moment where we were pretty much with the back on the wall with one medical emergency and I was like and we're done we can't do this this way this is not you know this is not how it's supposed to be we have to have resources that we can recover from this and not having to think about (gasps) either I do this or I don't have food right it's like this is not this is not an option for us this is not how I'm gonna run this organization So in my desperation, I signed up for training, right? (laughs) In 2016, Mint Mobile was born because its founders thought that Big Wireless was, well, dumb. So they decided it was time to create a smarter wireless company, one that extends its middle finger to conventional truths while also pointing out where Big Wireless is letting people down. They're online only. You can buy plans that are three month, six month, 12 month, no contracts. Choose to stay as long as you want. There are no overages. There's no surprises. There's just no BS. And for someone who lives in a remote area like myself, I can attest to the fact that the service is great and I have truly had no problems and oftentimes is better than the big wireless companies I was with before. To find out more about how Mint Mobile can work for you, hit the link in the show notes so they know that I sent you. Sometimes out of those terrifying moments comes a solution, I guess, right? Yeah. And, you know, I love the team and it was great. We uh, tripled almost our donations in the last three months of last year. Just, and I, you know, I followed the script that they, and it's not a script, but it's it was a plan that told you yeah. exactly what to do. And that was exactly what I personally needed. And I followed them and we were successful. So this year I signed up for the next round of training and, you know, struggling a little bit more because it wasn't quite as structured. Mm. So there was a lot more leeway for me and some of the things, you know, got pushed back and I was like, I can't do this alone. So I had to postpone, which doesn't mean we're not doing it. It just means I need to figure out how we're going to get it done. And, you know, some, some I'm like, I don't know, got it all right, have it done. And we're still not getting the funding in, but we have a buffer from last year. So I'm like, you know, not too too worried about it but the buffer will dissipate very quickly right if we're not going to make sure there's money coming on a regular basis but yeah you know there's if I can't do it I have to learn how right and well we'll adjust and and kind of you know find the ways I'm working really hard on my donor relationships which is Sometimes not easy because I'm an introvert. Mm, you have to just ex- go shake ex- hands ex- and 
tell them how amazing <laughs> the refuge is and how amazing you are. And sometimes that is so hard. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but it's a fantastic experience when you get it right. When you make the pitch, I had donors out on Tuesday and it's like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? It's like, I just do it. And so we were talking and I had them for lunch. And then at some point I was like, okay, let's go back to the sponsorship discussion. <laughs> and, you know, they gave me the money to support the one pick. And that was great. And the week before I asked some of my other donors that I've known for a while, they've been here since the get go and have given us every year. And I was mm. like, okay, my hay campaign is coming up. Will you match it? Mm. This is the number I'm thinking. And they're like, yeah, we can do that. And then five minutes later, it's like, we can do this much. And I was like, yes. Yeah. So, you know, this is where it's like, okay, it's working. I just yeah. need to get over my my hesitation because I'm not a fundraiser. I don't like doing that. But I have a responsibility for my 70 animals and that's what they need and you know I'm asking for them and not for me so that makes a difference but it is rewarding when it pans out right <laughs> yeah or when you make yeah. a really good relationship <laughs> yeah I can only imagine I'm blown away by your just what's the right word tenacity I think in talking about this and like in going after that and just it sounds like you have that mindset down where you can kind of reframe and be like, okay, this is for the animals. This I'm asking this for them. I'm not asking for me. And that probably makes it a little easier in those moments to get through those like donor conversations. And sometimes those things can be so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> it does. And, you know, don't get me wrong. My donors are lovely. Oh, right? of course. They're of course. Nice, they're nice people. So it's really not... You know, I have with these guys, with my major donors, I have personal relationships. They're not friend friends, but, you know, we've grown over the years. They know me well and I know them fairly well. So it's not quite that awkward, but it mm -hmm. is. I would never ask money for myself. Never, ever. Right. I would ask right. anybody. Right. I would figure it out. But the animals is a different, is a different scenario. Right. Mm -hmm. And... I want them to get the best care possible. And so we have to make that happen. And this is part of my job, I guess, that I signed up for. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I guess she says, I, you mentioned yes. kind of when you were picking the right property and everything, you kind of had to make those considerations for your family and what they needed. So do you have a lot of friends and family involved? Like what was that process like? Just, are some people on board? Do some people think you're crazy? Maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> Probably. So I don't have tons of family involved. My family supports me, but that's not their gig. And mm. they let me know. I had at the beginning, you know, as a starting point, I had a couple of friends being on the board mm -hmm. to get the baby off rolling, but they're not anymore. Most of my friends from, gosh, when we started this, were not super friends anymore mm -hmm. and it's not I you know I don't think it has to do with what I'm doing but I'm super busy and they're not they're not in this world right, right? 
they're not interested in plant-based living and saving animals, right? And I would probably think that they think I'm nuts. <laughs> oh, tons of people think I'm nuts. <laughs> tons. You know, it's like, why would you do this to yourself, right? Why would you choose that? And I ask myself yeah. that question. So I'm, why am I doing this to me? But then, you know, I get to hang out. <laughs> I get to hang out with Rosie. Like, yes, she's our cow and you know, you have to get the right moment with her in order to get some snuggle time in because I was like, I don't know what the other sanctuaries do. Their cows, they seem so docile and loving. Mine just wants to hump you. <laughs> You're like, I'll this isn't the sweet the videos I saw on, on the internet of no. rescuing cows. <laughs> no, not at all. But, you know, when she has her sweet moments, like yesterday, she was sitting down and I could could sneak up on her. And then I was brushing her for like 15 minutes Aww. and she was licking me and putting her head on my shoulder. And I was like, yeah, this is why I'm doing this. Right. Yeah. Or when you see when you see an animal transform. We got a pig last year in October that was supposed to be a hawk roast at a church event. The hawk roast was canceled and there was a vegan family that was determined to save this. A hog roast at a church? Yep. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So they got the pig and she came here and terrified terror in her eyes she had like Mm. beating wounds on her back she wouldn't walk we had to literally drag her out on a tarp from the u-haul into her area and then she just flatlined there super docile to be honest but you know you could see the terror in her eyes and i our pigs are all like 4-h pigs Mm and some strays and owner surrenders Mm -hmm. so while they have a huge range of emotions where some were really depressed they were not terrorized you could you know they didn't seem afraid of humans or fearful but she was and i was like sitting there i was like i don't know how to get this pick rehabilitated i'm like i don't know this pick will ever recover from the trauma and you know i look at her now (laughs) she's right in your business when we're feeding (laughs) she's almost taking you out Uh, Um, (laughs) no sense of personal space she's living her best life now (laughs) yes you can snatch the best pictures of her she's just a rascal but in a loving way she has no mean bone in her body she's the one pig where it's like she will never bite. Mm. I just, you know, there are others. I'm like, yeah, you will. But I'm like, she will not snap or mm. bite, never. And just living the life. And, you know, these are the transformations where it's like, this is why we're doing this, right? Yeah. Well, we cannot save them all. And we cannot save everyone we wanted to because we're limited in funding, manpower, volunteers, you right. know, you name it, space right now. For this, this animal, for Juniper, it made a huge of a difference. 
Yeah, that's got to be the the motivating reminder when you have stories like that. Also, Juniper is such a cute name. <laughs> I love cute. it. Is there anything that you want to share with listeners that you haven't gotten space to or that you wanted to talk about? You know, the only, well, a couple things. If you have yeah. spare time, right? Go and come and volunteer at sanctuaries. We mm. can use any help and hands on deck. And that's not just for me. I think every one of my colleagues I'm speaking to, we're struggling with just having the right people and enough people to do the work we're doing, right? And I hear so often people telling me, oh, I want to start a sanctuary. And I was like, why would you want to start a sanctuary? Here are positions within that need to be filled, right, in the board as a volunteer. It's like, go and help the sanctuary because yeah. that is where you really get the scope how this is going to pan out, what is required. Right. You can learn so much. and. You know, we can't grow as sanctuaries if we don't get the people that help us and support us, either financially with their manpower or their skills. Right. So why would you start a new one? Go and bring yourself in. You know, I would I would be thrilled if I would have like a couple people that are like, and off we go. And we're going for it so I can grow the organization even yeah. more, right? So I'm like, this is if you're planning to get your sanctuary or do something else like go and find a sanctuary i don't know anybody of my colleagues or myself who turn a person away who's like i want to make this baby even bigger right mm, or better yeah so i think these would be my my only kind of finalizing words <laughs> No, that's so great because, you know, I think that when you're in this world, when you're vegan, not just for health, but for the animals, for the environment, there's so many, you look around and you're like, I just, I want to save everything. I need to do everything right now. So it's like, I want to start a rescue. Or I want to start this, or I want to start that because you have all this passion. But I love that advice to be like, okay, go to those places. One that already need help to survive and grow and two, to learn what it's really like. And what that process yeah. is, and you'll be more successful if you do start your own someday, I imagine. True. You know, it's like there are many aspects that I didn't think they would be as they are, right? Right. I work four jobs for free or five sometimes, right? It's like, can you really do this? What right. can you do when you have a job and you want to do this, right? Be realistic. And I think you can learn a lot when you dive into the sanctuary world in regards of, you know, even if it's just the caretaking part, what goes into right. caretaking. But, you know, I have like, I don't know, I need 10 more people in my board. This is an opportunity for people to really get involved and we are a working board. We're not a governing board. So the people mm -hmm. that come onto our board, they are required to put hours in and to be a part of the organization. So you can shape an organization right there without, you know, having to have funding to do this. 
If I would not have had funding in the first two years, I'm like, I would not be able to do this work or would not have been able to sustain here, right? But I had funding that I could push into here. But there's so many pieces, right, that go into that. And it's not all glamorous and glorious, you know? You're not doing this to get rich or famous or whatever right it is hard i'm like there are so many pieces of this work where i'm like you know i wouldn't do it any way different but Mm -hmm. it's hard when i have to put down an animal i'm like it is hard it's like losing my own personal pet right yeah and sometimes you try everything to save them and you're not successful it's like while I've dealt with death with my mm. personal pets, right? And that is hard. You have a very different frequency when you run a sanctuary. Yeah. It feels like there's always somebody dying. And it's not, you know, that my animals drop dead. No, but I- <laughs> some, some of, you know, some of, some of them age out, right? Yeah. And you're the getting birds- animals that maybe weren't super healthy when they got to you, I imagine. Yes, we have that too, right? And you try the best you can. And right. I was fairly successful to keep some of them really stable for three years, right? And I'm like, I thought I had to put this one down much earlier, but then he was doing so well. And then all of a sudden they crash and you were like, what's happening, right? And for me, my special needs are kind of my babies where I'm getting more attached because I put more in sounds kind of weird but well they require you know, it's a little like bit you different spend a lot of, yes yeah yeah they do and I bond over that part because I have a nick for special needs and so it's really hard when you lose them right we lost last mm. year we lost three of my favorite special needs animals oh. and it's like how how do you cope right because life goes on you don't get a break here you have to keep going because yeah you know they still need food water money and all of that stuff and so there are a lot of aspects that you know you don't think about it when you're not in the middle of it right so yeah and you know it's just i'm like you that's my advice i'm like it's not really we don't need another sanctuary per se to start up as like if you have resources man combine them you can yes. help you know make an organization better and bigger and bring yourself in versus building a new one from scratch which is really really hard that's so, such good advice that, and i think just yeah in general the reminder that you don't have to what's the saying you don't have to reinvent the wheel there are there are places out there for you to use that passion without actually making it harder on yourself. Yeah. And, and you can do a lot of good. I so appreciate that reminder in general, but specifically with, with rescues. Thanks for listening to another episode of consciously clueless. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends, put it on social media. Don't forget to tag me. If you're on Apple podcasts or good pods, leave a review. Reviews and shares help more people to see the podcast and join in on the fun. If you want to make sure to stay up to date on future episodes, follow me at Consciously Carly on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or Pinterest, and head to consciouslycarly.com to sign up for the newsletter. Ready for more Conscious Living content? Check out patreon.com slash consciouslycarly and join the exclusive community over there. 
And finally, if you're ready to take better care of yourself and the world, let's work together. Click the link in the show notes to head to the website, find out more and schedule a free discovery call with me. Chat soon.